just thinking about the love of love of Christ and what he's done for us. Another simple verse that we forget, John 3.16, which might be at the Super Bowl today. Some of might be draping that sign over. We kind of chuckle at that, but at the same point in time, it's very powerful. And how does that verse start out? For God so loved the world. Jesus with his disciples, the only reason he went to the cross was for love. And he saw every one of our faces. In all of eternity, he saw all of us before we were born. He knew us. He formed us intricately in our mother's womb. And he said, I love that person. So today, shall we partake together? It's because of the love that God has for every one of us. The bread and the juice together. Father, may we never forget the simplicity of the message of the gospel, which for God so loved the world. And life becomes so complex, it becomes so worrisome at times, cumbersome. And Lord, today we sit here today and thank you, God, that we can rely and rest in the fact that you love each and every one of us. Yes, Jesus loves me. And thank you, God, today that love through the sacrifice of the cross covers a multitude of sins. And you have provided the covering and the place of safety because of your love. Because in spite of our failures, in spite of our wrongdoings, in spite of our shortcomings, you still love us with an everlasting love. It is because of your love for us that we have new life. It is because of your love for us that we can face tomorrow. It is because of your love for us, God, we can forget the past. It is because of your love today that we have a sense of security and a sense of wholeness. Thank you, God, for that gift in your son, Jesus, that you spared no expense. And you lavished your love on each and every one of us today. And thank you, God, that we can enjoy it, that you don't give it in pieces and parcels, but you pour it out on us. And I pray today, God, that each and every one of us leave here today overflowing with the love and the grace of God so that we can show it to a dying world. Thank you, God, that you didn't come with a pointing finger, but you came with an extended hand. You didn't come with eyes of rage and judgment, but you came with eyes of compassion and that even when we were in trespasses and sins, you loved us. Thank you, God, today that we can take communion and remember the sacrifice that you did and gave for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Ellie, that's good stuff.
used to that, can't we? Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. I didn't even think to hit record on that, Allie, because uh, your mom could have heard that, but hopefully you, you will, we'll record it one of these Sundays, right? So Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, a love with no boundaries. You know, the world describes to us love. The world tries to teach us what love is, and... and uh, how many of you know the only kind of love we can be taught is the God style of love? I think today in our churches and everywhere we turn, we need a baptism of love. We need a baptism of love in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our prisons, in our hospitals, in our offices. We need a baptism of Christ's love. In Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, it says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. The Lord says, and this is an amazing part of it, then I will heal you of your faithlessness, my love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I think there's an understanding, and it's a sloppy understanding that we have of grace, that the only way we can receive grace is by turning away from this stuff. He's telling all the people to leave behind the idols, leave behind the war horses, in other words, the power structures that you have. You know, sometimes our power structures can be in the form of money, can't they? We think that money gives us the security and the power. Well, this nation had realized that even all of that wasn't enough and that their loyalties had been torn in a couple different directions. And God had been speaking through the prophet Hosea saying, I want them to be loyal only to me. Jesus says, you know, God says, I am a jealous God. Can you imagine that? I'm a jealous God. I want... Your undivided attention. And um, it's important for us today to understand that. Two things that we're going to have to ask ourselves about this God love. Can God's love fix all of the world's problems? Because that's the gospel. The gospel tells us that the answer to all of life's problems and concerns are that, in that what Christ has done. Can God's love fix all the world's problems? And the next question is going to be, is can I display this kind of love. That's a hard one. It's very difficult. Can, can God's love fix all the world's problems? You know, I'm into prophecy. I don't mind prophecy and all the, all the different things going on. I do believe we're in the last days. But I think sometimes in our Christian faith, when it comes to the love and the gospel, we kind of feel like, well, there's nothing more we can do here. God, give me the exit out strategy. I want, I want out of this place. To a show of hands, how many of sometimes in your life you've just given up on the things going on around you? We just give up. We're all that way. We have our exit strategies. I'm done loving this. I'm done investing in that because, man, that's stupid. I can't believe what's going on. I can't believe where the nation's gone. I can't believe this. And we leave the place of love and investment to the place of we're, we're, we're hard, we're callous, and we just want to go off. 
Oz Guinness wrote this. Can God's love fix all the problems is the question. The darkest hour is truly just before dawn, right? Oz Guinness writes, this is the story and lesson of every revival. Five minutes before the revival breaks out, the spiritual landscape may look dark and bleak, but five minutes later, all has changed. Can these bones live? The Lord asked the prophet, and Ezekiel can only answer, Oh Lord, only you know. There are many things we humans can do, and unquestionably there are more such things in this generation than any before us. But life from death and spiritual life from worldliness and corruption, that is simply beyond us. If it is to be done, only God can do it. And God has, again and again, all down the running centuries. Today's Christians are armed with the latest sociological statistics and the most incisive commentary, yet it is utterly foolish if he leaves out the only factor that counts in the end, God himself. Armed with batteries of statistics and some startling and some grim, and most of them impeccably accurate, the gloomsters and doomsayers meet us with their worried estimates and their bleak conclusion. Is it over? Some ask. Confusing the failures of the church and setbacks to Christian political hopes with the failure of the kingdom itself. Are we going the way of Europe? Others wonder as if they could be no return to God in Europe, and as if Europe had not been lost before and then won back again to faith in Christ. At the heart of our faith, let me understand this, folks, is the glory of the resurrection of Jesus, the same God who brought the universe into being out of nothing and calls it into being which does not exist. When God speaks and acts, everything is changed and nothing is the same. So is everything bleak right now? Is there any hope? Is there any hope for the future, whether it be in America or the world at large, with everything going on in wars and rumors of wars? And we do know all the verses, so I'm not lessening them. He said the last days people will be loving some of themselves. I've stressed all that before. But I want you to understand, with all that said, when God comes on the, thing, on the scene, the whole landscape changes. Millions upon millions upon millions of people are hearing the gospel and are being changed forever because of the love of God shed abroad. The sacrifices, Jesus said, it's enough to die for someone you love. God died for your enemies. When we were in jail ministry, one of the things that we said before is, how many guys would take a bullet for one of your, one of your homies out there? Oh, yeah, man, I do. How many would do it for the enemy across the room? Now that's a God kind of love. Remember the story, I think it was back in the 70s, was the cross and the switchblade. Nikki Cruz, many of us have heard that story. David Wilkerson. And here Nikki Cruz wanted to kill him. He said, I'm going to kill you in a switchblade. And he said, you can cut me in a million pieces. And every piece would say, I love you. What's happening in the world today is the world's trying to define everyone and give them the opportunity to say, this is what love is. Turn real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The most abused verse, I think, in Scripture today. Everyone say, whoa, no. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What, what is love? This is a great one. How many of you have been to weddings? 
You hear this verse of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is the greatest. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth here, so let's get that underlayment real quick. He says this, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels but didn't have didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Here's what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. How many have failed at half of that stuff so far in here? It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstances. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Judas Smith writes, if God's kind of love is paramount for our souls, what does that love look like? And here's how he commentates on when Paul addressed this letter to the church in Corinth. He says this, Paul was writing the church in Corinth, in case you've never heard of Corinth. It was an ancient city in Greece that was basically a hybrid of Amsterdam, Las Vegas, Hollywood, only crazier. It was a highly sexualized city, a city where love was God and sensuality was almost deified. Meanwhile, a group of committed followers of Jesus was trying to build a community and church in the middle of this love crisis in Corinth. Paul wrote to these believers to tell them that love is not some undefined, abstract quality. Love is not a feeling. Love is not sexual anarchy. Paul reminded them that love has been put on display by the life and death and burial and resurrection of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what love is. If you want to know what love is, and somebody's asking, what is love? And what's, what is love? Look at the face of Jesus. You want to learn the love of God and the love of the Father? Look through the gospel as Jesus in love touched the paralytic and the blind and the leprous. And he went after those people. Why? When everyone else stood at a distance, Jesus Christ in love was running right into the frame of the situations people were facing. Being baptized in love. Turn to somebody and say, get baptized in love. Max Lucado writes, conventional wisdom says that a lack of love implies a lack of effort. So we try hard and we dig deeper and we strain more. Could we be skipping a step, he asks. An essential step. Could it be that we are trying to give what we don't have, are we forgetting to receive first? Folks, in order to give, you've got to have something to give, right? Can I, can I get an amen there? I can't give something I don't have. And if we're lacking love, if we lack love for our neighbor, don't pray, Lord, just give me love for that person, give me love for that person. You're going to have to go deeper than that. You're going to have to identify why you don't love your neighbor. And then, like Christ or God was spinning through the prophet Hosea,
He says, you leave that stuff behind, the idols you've created, all those things that have burned through your heart, come to me, receive my love, and then out of that, you can be love to those around you. Being baptized in love is so important for us in the culture we live. It is so important in our lives when we're pointing fingers and looking at each other and judging people and all sorts of things going on that we get a baptism in love. We must experience for ourselves deep healing. We're going to get into healing class today. Anybody need to be healed today? He offers healing deep in our souls that no one else can. Turn real quick to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. We live in a society today that has redefined love and its understanding, and love can only come through God. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. This is why we need a baptism of love. I love how the Amplified reads this. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. And when we talk about love, that's not some deep kind of theological thing we think of many times. And he's sitting there saying, let us think for a moment how deep, how wide, how long the love of God is. Let's think about this. Let's think about in our lives in the baptism that we come to Christ. I love what the Amplified says. It says that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge out of ex with the experience that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. In other words, coming to a practical working knowledge of the love of God. Where does Christ touch you in love? Where did you need love? Where in your life, practically, we're not talking about doctrinally right now, where you, line upon line, know this Bible, do you experience the love of God for yourself in your life? Have there been sins in your life where you can recognize that you received the forgiveness of Christ and God still loved you in spite of all the setbacks? And you say, I received it, I experienced the love, and this is why I know the love of God. Do you know the love of God, Christian? This is not a verse for unbelievers. This is for the believer being filled up to a practical knowledge of saying, I have experienced the love that you preach about today. Let me ask you this. If God's love is able to fix all the problems of the world, why aren't we applying God's love to problems in the world? <laughs> I mean, if you've got it, if we've got it, then why don't we trust it? I really believe that we just don't trust that it will work. Well, what, what was loving my neighbor as much as myself going to do it? That's not changing anything. See, we trust in our war horses. We trust in our items and our manipulations. We don't just trust that maybe love can do it. Maybe love can fix it. And we're scared as Christians because we don't want to get in the, the gelatin part of love that doesn't have any spine to it. Folks, Jesus had a spine, okay? 
But Jesus loved people. And we're so scared to help people and fix people because we go, well, what if they take advantage of me? Folks, turn to somebody and say, everybody and their mother's going to take advantage of you. Can you, did you get that? Come on, say it to someone. Ted, you didn't say it to Kiki. Uh, it's not happening. <laughs> Where have you gotten cold and calloused? Where in time did you let go of the love and place your trust in something else? To truly experience and to have intimate relationship with Christ, we must show Him who we really are. You know, when you come to God in prayer, you know, we hear people praying, we're like, oh man, that person just really knows how to pray. And I kind of chuckle at that. I know what the person's saying. It's like, man, I don't really want to pray today because I just don't have that kind of pizzazz. And I want to reach into Scripture and teach you that the Pharisee, he really knew how to pray, folks. He was really boastful about who he was. And he was really boastful about, thank you, God, that I'm not like that person. And that's the spirit that we've been portraying to the world. And can I tell you something? It's not working. That is not love. Sorry, Tess, I just spit on you. That's not love. And then we have the man in the back of the sanctuary that is almost in his face like this in the knees. And he's begging God for forgiveness. Almost nervous to even speak out because he didn't even feel worthy enough. And he said, that's the example. We are so fixed. We are so together that we don't even need to experience Yes, Jesus loves me. Come on. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And that's the fix. To truly experience an intimate relationship with Christ, it doesn't require you memorize another verse of Scripture in this Bible. Can I get an amen there? It doesn't require that you do a certain thing a certain way. Our humanity and our hearts and our flesh long for us to have some kind of system so we can prove that it works and we prove I did these four steps and this is why I have what I have. But folks, there is no steps to this kind of love. We receive God's love because he gave it to us just simply because he gave it to us. And that fix is possible for the world around us. I have the same setbacks, my mental setbacks. I look at people, I prejudge. How many people prejudged one person this last week? Can I get a... Okay, good, there's three people that raised their hand in honesty. You prejudge the situation. You didn't even give God a chance there.
requires action. And love requires us go out of our way, not the world come out of their way. Love requires us, if we're to provide the fix, for us to take the extra step, to take our coat off and to do anything. Me and Hunter were in line yesterday. We were actually in Walmart, and this lady was sitting there, and she was sweating, and she was breathing hard. She was kind of like, she was just very nervous, a nervous kind of thing, and I wasn't sure who she was. I thought maybe she was just having some issues. Gets up there next, and the the the, the checker lady said, are you okay, ma'am? She was like, no, I'm not. And then we started going into action, and she's like, I'm a diabetic. So I said, let me get you a candy bar. I ran and got a chair, and we went to the customer service and said, let's call, what, ma'am, what's your, what's your husband's name? And he's in a store shopping somewhere, and let's get some help on. But it was interesting that the checker lady, all she asked, are you okay? And that opened the floodgate what the issue was. Folks, we, we overcomplicate the gospel and we overcomplicate the way God can work. Folks, go to someone and say, are you, are you okay? Another way to say it is, can I pray with you? Another way to say it is just bless them and not say anything at all. The opportunity for us, and I hate to use the word fix because nothing we can do can fix anything. Only God fixes what I mean by fix is it gives us the opportunity to express the love and the hope that God has given to us because He fixed things in our hearts that were destroyed and decimated and how we defined love and how we gave love was completely different. And so when God comes in and He truly fixes things, something happens. So folks, maybe we get to the point where we just start asking people, man, is there something I can do to help you? Can I display this kind of love? And that's where God hit me. Because I don't have this kind of love. I fail at 1 Corinthians 13 miserably every other day. Because I'm selfish. Because Steve doesn't do it that way. Holding grudge. Anybody ever held a grudge in here before? So I fail miserably at it. So I said, God... How can I even speak to this scripture? I am not the person to even talk about. He said, Steve, you can talk about it because I'm going to work in and through your life and be an example. I said, well, that's fair enough. So if I use that as an example, I can say if I can live in love and do the things that God has, then Christ in me allows me the ability to love like I've never loved before. Doesn't mean we figure it all out. Doesn't mean we have perfect love every day of the week. It simply means that God is reaching in and allowing His display to come through us. God loves through you. Max Lucado writes, Can it be that we're missing a step? Could it be that the first step of love is not towards people, but the first step of love would be towards Him? The first step of love, folks, is not you going, give me a love for that person. The first step of love would be, God, give me a love for you. Because if I love God then I'm going to love all the creation around me. That's the byproduct. God, if I fall in love with you, then my life will start to fall in love with the things that you're in love with. God, my life will be turned. My life will be burned to those people. My heart will break when their heart breaks. When there's needs, I will be there through that situation because I'm falling in love with God. And it's a really neat thing. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 
And two says this, and it's a pretty big command, but we blow over it. It says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us. Isn't that crazy that we're to be imitators of God? Not imitators of Paul, not imitators of Moses and Abraham and Sarah. We're to be imitators of God Almighty. A never-failing love. One of my favorite verses of Scripture or stories was a story in the woman in Capernaum. Max Lucado wrote this about a never-failing love. Remember how she lavished love on Christ, bathing his feet with tears, drying his feet with her hair? If love were a waterfall, she'd be Niagara. And Simon? Well, Simon was the Sahara, dry and parched and hard. His arid heart surprises. He was the churchgoer, the pastor, the seminarian. She, on the other hand, was the town slut. He'd forgotten more Bible than she ever knew. But she discovered one truth Simon had somehow missed. God's love has no limits. So when you look at the people and the situations around you, we kind of cover our tracks with people. We're talking about families in church. and We're like, oh, you know, Johnny, we're just really praying for Johnny. That's a cover-up for, oh my gosh, that thing's a problem and it's never going to work. Max Lucado goes on to write, the word fail is used elsewhere to describe the demise of a flower as it falls to the ground and it withers and it decays. It carries the meaning of death and abolishment. God's love will never fall to the ground and wither or decay. I found this old rose. My wife, when I give her bouquets of flowers, what she'll do after they're done blooming and doing their fun stuff, she'll hang them upside down at a certain point and they dry, and you get dried flowers. And I found one of these guys, and although this is a memory of a beautiful moment, I gave those flowers to her. These flowers are very wilty. If you touch it, they kind of just fall to the ground, and these flowers will never, ever, ever be the same. And one thing about the love of God, it is completely unconditional. If you haven't experienced it today in an area of your life, you can have it. It will never uh, it will never fade away. It will never wilter. It will never fall to the ground. It's amazing how God, how His love is completely faithful to us. Why does God love me? Real quick, turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I can only go to Scripture and tell you why God doesn't love you. By the way, when Christ came and died on the cross, he came to a hostile world, didn't he? A, a world that didn't recognize him. And we think somehow that that changes for us when we show love. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still saints. Sinners. So the next time you write someone off or a situation off, a person off, a problem, remember that when God stepped into your situation, that he loved you in spite of you. 
He loved me in spite of me. He loved me in spite of all the problems that I would give him the next 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of Steve Lapp's life. Do you know that we give him problems all the time? Do you know that he loves your problems? And he doesn't love you any less. Turn back in Scripture real quick to Deuteronomy all the way back to, closer to the beginning of your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 7. So when you're lied to by the enemy that God doesn't love you or that you failed him and that you never can recover, realize that God loves you. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 says, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you are more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. And he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. He picked you today and picked me today because he loves us. So receiving the love of God today is so imperative for us because as we receive the love of God, we can show the love of God. And to go to the throne room of grace and receive those amazing, amazing principles of how wide and how deep the love of God is. It's amazing. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? Maybe you've given up on some things and you thought that the problem couldn't be fixed. And I want to tell you today, it is simply because of love that that problem can be fixed. And it's not your love, it's not your ability, it's not your strength. Your strength will fail, but it is in God's ability to present that. I want to ask you today a simple question. How well... Are you loving the people around you? To fix the problem, we've got to look in our own lives and say, am I giving and showing a kind of love? How well am I taking care of the people around me? And I'm telling you, if you start to ask people questions, and if you're really truly interested, you'll start to see the problems, and God will start to give you answers. It's interesting I was sitting one morning reading the Bible and I got a text come across. One of my workers had texted me and said, Steve, you got anything for me today? Meaning from the Lord. You got anything for the Lord, a word for me? And I sat there going, oh my Lord, I don't have a thing for him. <laughs> and the Lord had given me a verse of scripture. But I want to tell you today that as you present the love of God, and as you give that to people, God's going to give you some answers at the right time for the right reason. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just really simple this, really simply this. You haven't trusted baby in a scenario of your life that God's love can fix this problem. And you're going to the throne room of grace today and saying, God, I've tried to work around, I've trusted in this and I've trusted in that, but I haven't trusted in your love, and I haven't allowed your love to shower on my life, offering forgiveness to me. Today, if that's you, the fix is on today. God's wanting to 
come into the space of your heart as you leave that behind. Fixing those situations through the spirit of love through Christ Jesus. Today, if that's you, why don't you raise your hand? Anyone? Thank you. Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus, I thank you for loving me even when where I was at. Lord, thank you that you chose me simply because you love me. I thank you, God, that your love has never failed in my life. And I'm trusting in that love. I'm not trusting in anything else. You will never fail me because you love me. I thank you, God, of your thoughts towards me today and of the future you have for me. I trust you with that because you love me and you gave your life for me. Help me, God, today to display a love like I've never displayed before. Help me, God, to invest in people's lives. To ask the questions that I might not know the answer to. But you do. I trust you, God. Put people in my path. Put people in my situations. Thank you, God, that this love that I'm going to show is not convenient, but it's sacrificial. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, I pray today in this season of love, we're in February, I thank you, God, today that you gave the, pre, uh, the supreme example of love. And I thank you, God, that you love us with an everlasting love. And I thank you, God, what you did over 2,000 years ago in love is still the answer 2,000 years later. And God, when we, the church, maybe have given up and lost hope, you never did. And your kingdom is established. And you know the end from the beginning. And the moment you step on scene, everything changes. And so today, Father, I pray that our love would intensify for those around us. That it would cause us to step out. And to aggressively pursue those around us. So that they could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we bless you and we praise you for today. And the opportunity to know again and be reminded that yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Folks, I love you, love you, love you. Go ask someone, is there anything wrong? And see what God does through you. Amen? Amen. Have a wonderful day. Go Philly. <laughs> Love you.